Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. We've been talking about our theological convictions as a church. We talked about uh, a God-centered understanding of the gospel, uh, the authority of the Bible, Last week, we addressed the, uh, the topic of the Holy Spirit and what it means to, to live a Spirit-filled life. And this week, we are talking about biblical manhood and womanhood. Uh, I have really loved this series, and I have also, I don't want to say I've hated it because I haven't hated it, but I've struggled with it because... We're taking these topics that are massive and we are trying to condense them to a, well, I, yeah, I've been taking, what, 50 minutes? <laughs> so I apologize. My intention is not to, to, uh, to go that long. But at the same time, these topics are, are big. And obviously, the topic today of biblical manhood and womanhood is very vast. So the disclaimer for us is, uh, I am not going to exhaust this topic by any means, right? There's a lot more regarding this topic. This is, I'm thinking of this particular uh, uh, sermon more kind of like as an, as, an, as an introduction to the topic, right? Because there really is a lot. Um, so please open your Bibles to Genesis and we're going to be in chapters 2 and 3, so just leave them there. We're not going to read it quite yet, um, and let's pray. God, we thank you that you are our creator. We thank you that you made us to glorify you. You created us male and female for your glory. I pray that you would speak to us, that you would... Um, reveal your truth to us and that you would give us boldness to believe and to declare the truth, especially a truth that is so unpopular today in our culture. We praise you. We give you glory, Lord. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit. Please speak the truth of the gospel to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, with all of the topics that we've talked about, I've been trying to come up with uh, kind of a main argument or a main point. And the last few that I've done, the argument has been a little bit shorter. This one, I just feel like there was so much to cover. And so my argument is actually longer. I'm going to read it a couple of times. But this is the outline that I'm following uh, for the argument and really for the whole sermon. I'm following four elements, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So I'm going to read it once and kind of comment or at least point where I'm, where I'm going, and then I'm going to read it a second time. So first, talking about creation, this is the argument. God created mankind, male and female, in his own image. Men and women are created equal in essence and value 
but different in biology and roles. So that's creation. Fall. At the fall, the image of God in humanity was distorted, and therefore, their God-given roles were corrupted. Now, going to uh, redemption, Jesus, the new representative of the redeemed humanity, justifies both men and women who come to him in repentance and makes them a part of his family. And then finally, restoration. In Christ, there is no spiritual distinction between men and women. In the church and in the family, men and women glorify God and thrive by accepting and exercising their God-given roles. So that's, you know, that's uh, quite the argument in that, again, usually I've tried to make it pretty short, but this one I just felt like I couldn't. I'm going to read it one more time and then we'll dive into it. God created mankind, male and female, in his own image. Men and women are created equal in essence and value, but different in biology and roles. At the fall, the image of God in humanity was distorted, and therefore, our God-given roles were corrupted. Jesus, the new representative of the redeemed humanity, justifies both men and women who come to him in repentance and makes them a part of his family. In Christ, there is no spiritual distinction between men and women. In the church and in the family, men and women glorify God and thrive by accepting and exercising their God-given roles. All right, so let's talk about creation first. Let's talk about the creator, created order. Um, now, it is important for us to talk about creation because when we think about feminism, when we think about, uh, uh, you know, just a lot of the values that our culture has today, when we think about not just feminism, but a lot of other isms out there, uh, this is what happens. This is kind of like the way that we have ended where we are today. Once you get rid of God, once you get rid of a creator, then you can very easily get rid of a created order, right? If there's no creator, then there's no one to state or to, you know, to dictate a creational order. And so since there is no creator, since we ourselves are pretty much our own gods, we get to decide what roles we want to play or what genders we want to be. Or, you know, you know exactly where I'm going. You know all of the distortions of the, uh, of the creational order that there are out there. But when you accept that there is a creator, right? When you accept that God is a, our creator, then you have to accept that there is a created order, right? God, if God created us, then he is the only one that has the authority to tell us how male and female should function, right? So from creation, we learn these two things, that men and women are created equal in essence, dignity, and value. And we also learn that men and women are created different in biology and roles. So let's talk about how men and women are equal first. Um, when we read Genesis 2, 26 through 27, the wording of, of the creation account in Genesis communicates that Mankind consists of male 
and female, right? So the, 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 com- the completion or the totality of mankind is male and female, uh, and that being created in the image of God means to be created male and female. So let's read Genesis 2.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Right? So right there we see that there is equality, that we are made of the same essence, that humanity consists of both male and female. Furthermore, we see that in, at creation, um, or sorry, we see that the creation of Eve, the creation of, of, of woman, does not suggest uh, that she is inferior or that she is unequal, right? Some people have thought about the idea that, you know, since Eve was taken from the rib of Adam, well, that must mean that she is inferior to Adam. Well, that's, I don't believe that that's what the text is communicating. In fact, I believe it's the opposite. I believe that the, the fact that she was taken from Adam's rib indicates that she is made out of the same essence and out of the same stuff that Adam is made out of, right? So uh, notice how this story in Genesis 2, 18 through 25, notice how it is sandwiched between God showing Adam his need for a helper. Too loud. Uh, Chapter 2, sorry. Genesis 2, verse 18. Notice how this story is sandwiched between God saying, uh, showing Adam his need for a helper, his need for someone like him, and then it it ends, or that particular particular, uh, story ends with the creation of Eve, the creation of woman. So, Verse 18, Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of men. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So notice, God declares it is not good for men to be alone. God shows Adam his need, right? He, he parades all the animals in front of him and he's naming them and he's realizing there's nothing like me. 
right? All of these animals are over here, but they're not quite like me. They're not a suitable help for me. And so God creates Adam, sorry, God creates Eve out of Adam's rib. And then when he wakes up, he is extremely excited because finally there is someone just like him. There is someone who is bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh, right? So the creation account communicates that man and woman are created in, uh, equally in essence, in value. Um, but then the creation account also tells us that men and women are created different in terms of biology and roles. Now, I am not really going to get into the issue of biology because I am not an expert. But at the same time, you don't have to be an expert to know that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, right? Like even though the world is trying to make anyone who denies that, they're trying to make us, you know, dumb or, or uh, intolerant or you name it, it doesn't matter how hard you try, a man will always be a man and a woman will always be a woman. Um, now, you know, we could argue that there are psychological differences as well. Uh, I, I would say all of that is, you know, ultimately biological, and that's by design. But I do want to focus a little bit more on the, different, on the difference in roles that God has given each gender, male and female. To the man, God gave the role of leader, teacher, protector, and provider. So I want to address some of I want to address these quickly because there's lots of material. So I just get, I'm gonna go over them quickly. Oh, and by the way, you know, I'm gonna be talking about a, a bunch of different things. If you have any questions, if you have any thoughts, any comments, feel free to come to me afterwards and we can talk a little bit more about all of this. Um, so God gave man the role of leader. Um, it is interesting that in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, when Paul is talking about men and women in the church, one of the arguments he makes is brings it back, he brings it back to the creation order. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians eleven three. 3. He says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. In that same passage, he argues that, that you know, woman came out of man, and, the, and that, for him, is an argument for the leadership role that Adam was given. Uh, in terms of his role as a teacher, Paul also argues in 1 Timothy 2, verses 12 through 13, he also goes back to the creation order and he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Right? I mean, I know that some of these are like, whoa, like, did Paul actually say that? That's, wow, Paul, like, get on with the days. Well, Paul is making an argument from the creational order. Some people have tried to argue that these things are cultural and that Paul was just kind of following the culture of the day, but Paul is actually pointing them back to the ordering to the order of creation. He is saying this is how it has been from the very beginning and this is how 
it should be. Um, now, the role of protector and provider. We saw this when we talked about Ephesians 5, right? How Christ loves the church sacrificially, how he nourishes uh, uh, his bride and, and how men are supposed to imitate Christ in nourishing and caring for, it, for their wives like their own body. We also learn it from the creational order, right? We see how Adam was the one charged with caring for the garden. And if you think about it, you know, I'm, we're not going to read it quite yet. But if you think about it, when Adam and Eve were together at the fall, or let me put it this way. When at the fall, when, when the serpent deceived Eve, the text actually makes it sound like Adam was right next to her. Like, I don't think that, she, you know, she was over here with the serpent and Adam was like way over there. I think one could argue that they were together and that basically Adam did not fulfill his role of protector. And instead he abdicated his responsibility. In other words, Adam should have bruised the serpent's head, right? He was in charge of the garden when he saw the serpent, that there was a talking serpent that was telling them to do something directly against the command that God has given them. Adam was supposed to protect and to, I don't know, do something to the snake, expel it or whatever, but he didn't. Um, also, you know, when we see in the, in the creation account that Adam was the provider and that he was the one who worked the field. He was the one who, who, who worked to provide for his family. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the role of, uh, the, role of the women. Women here in, in the story have the role of helper and mother. Helper and mother. It is interesting to me how um, Paul makes this argument in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, in the same passage that he talks about, you know, male leadership, he, uh, I like how he talks about the fact that men and women are not independent from each other. Men and women are so dependent from each other. And this is what he says in verse 11 and 12. Uh, of 1 Corinthians 11. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent nor man, sorry, woman is not independent of men nor man of woman. For as, it, as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman and all things are from God. So the role of helper, we kind of already talked about it a little bit, right? Adam realized that none of the animals was like him. None of the creatures that were before him were like him. He realized that it was not good for him to be alone. God himself told him, it's not, it's not good for you to be alone. Humanity was incomplete before Eve was created and she was created as his helpmate, as the one that was there to, to support him, to help him, right? There's this idea in our society today that men are islands, but that is absolutely not true. We need our counterparts to exist as image bearers. One of the, one of, uh, one passage that makes me think of all the ways that women can be helpers to their husbands is Proverbs 31. And think about this particular, this particular uh, 
chapter. We're not, we're not going to go there. I, I encourage you to go there uh, uh, in your own time. But think about all the things that the woman of Proverbs 31 does. She's not this, you know, cute adornment of the house that people are just looking at and, and does nothing. She is doing so much. She is in charge of so much, which the point that I'm trying to make kind of goes a couple of different ways. One of them is sometimes men, we have, uh, we have made the mistake of thinking that there are certain tasks or certain things that women shouldn't do, right? There are some tasks that are inherently manly, but at the same time, you see the woman of Proverbs 31 and all of the things that she's doing, right? She has a business. She's... Uh, uh, you know, she's selling and buying property. She's lending generously to the poor. She's doing so much. And so, you know, that's, that's an incredible way that women can be helpers. Helper, being a helper also means that you are obviously helping someone else, right? It is a selfless role. You glorify God. If you're married, you glorify God by helping your husband, by, in a sense, sacrificing yourself and loving and helping, supporting your husband. Now, this next one, which is the role of mother or motherhood, think about when Adam named Eve. It says that he named her Eve because she was the mother of all living One of the things that our society has tried to erase from God's design is the wonder of women being able to have babies. Think about it. There are so many tasks that both men and women can do, right? Like, you know, kind of going back to my other point, like I I don't, I don't know, you can, we can have a discussion after this, but I don't feel like there's necessarily tasks or at least that many tasks that are like manly tasks and tasks that are womanly tasks per se. Like I'm thinking like mowing the lawn. Like what if your wife likes mowing the lawn? What if she finds it relaxing or whatever? It doesn't mean that if, if your wife mows the lawn, then she's masculine and you're feminine. No, it's a woman mowing the lawn, right? Okay, so, but here's the point. One of the things that only women can do is have babies. And that is an incredible and beautiful thing. That is a superpower that God gave women. But unfortunately, our culture is trying to get rid of it. Our culture is trying to deny that. I believe that part of the root problem of abortion, I know that it's a huge, complicated topic, but... Is the lie that women hear that through it, they can be just like men and not have to carry a baby, nurture this baby, raise this baby, right? Of course, the lie is bigger than that because it also tells men the lie that they could just go around doing whatever they want without, you know, caring, without uh, providing for, for the babies that they're making. But the problem is that motherhood has been relegated When in reality, an essential and glorious part of being a woman is the ability to have children. Now, this doesn't mean that if you are not physically capable of, you know, if you as a couple are not physically capable of having children, it doesn't mean that you are less of a woman. 
right? This doesn't mean that this is a personal belief that I have. This doesn't mean that that you can't use uh, uh, or that you can try to prevent pregnancy. But I do think that when you are intentionally not wanting to be pregnant, not wanting to bear children, you're pretty much negating a, a something that is deep within your nature, something that God instilled within your nature. This, is a, this passage is, is super complicated and, and I almost hesitate just to mention it. But look how deep-rooted is uh, bearing children to womanhood. In 1 Timothy 2, when, he is t- when Paul is talking about the role of men and women, this is one of the things that Paul says. He says in verse 15, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Right? I'm not saying, I don't think this passage is saying that for women, salvation comes through childbearing, right? Because that would be denying the rest of the body of Scripture, right? We know that salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. But I think that this passage is getting somewhere to the point of saying, you need to accept the design that God has given you. All of us need to accept the design that God has given for us. All right, so that was a creation, and let's move on. That was creation. Now let's talk about the fall. At the fall, the image of God was distorted. At the fall, the roles that God gave were uh, uh, were kind. I mean, I would say, yeah, I would say ruined. They were ruined. They were distorted. Uh, now, here, this is this is interesting because there are people in the church, not here at Kaleo, but there are people in the larger church that actually would say, would argue that gender roles are a result of the fall. Right. In other words, they're saying gender roles, like male leadership and and women. Uh, uh, or, you know, the wife's submission to her husband, they argue those are actually things that happened after the fall. That was not the way that it was originally designed. I I have heard this from people that, like, otherwise are known as, you know, good Christians. Um, But I would would argue that that is not the case. I would argue that here in the creational, uh, in the creation passages, in the passages that I just read in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Timothy 2, it is clear that roles are deep-rooted in creation, not in the fall. So, for example, let me, let me, talk, about, let me talk a little bit about Genesis 3, uh, verse 14. So this is after the fall, and God is giving... Uh, a declaration of, of judgment to the serpent, to the woman, and to the man. And, and keep, keep in mind that all of these things that God is saying are negative to the people that, or to the persons that are hearing it. So, for example, in verse 14, when he talks to the serpent, this is negative to the serpent. He is saying, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat 
all the days of your life. I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So that is the curse or the result of the fall for the serpent. Now listen to the result of the fall for the woman. Verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And then the, 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 the result for Adam, the result for man is this. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And then that's where we read, then man called his wife, his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. So here's the point that I'm trying to make. In verse 16, the second half of the verse, it says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, here's the disclaimer. This is an extremely difficult verse to interpret or to translate because it could actually be translated a few different ways. And if you want to hear more about the different ways that it can be translated, I would be happy to talk to you afterwards. Right now, I'm going to give you the one that I think is the most accurate. Uh, I believe that basically the way that we have it here, if you're reading from the Pew Bibles, seems a really accurate way of translating it and saying, your desire shall be this. So keep in mind, this is a result of the fall. And he's saying, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. In other words, you will want to be against your husband, but he shall rule over you. And I believe that that is a negative, not a positive kind of ruling, but a negative kind of ruling which basically explains that after the fall, the roles were corrupted. The woman who should, have been, who should have been in submission to her husband is now going to have her desire against her husband. And the husband that should have lovingly led and protected his wife is now going to domineeringly and authoritatively exercise very poor leadership, right? This is a result of the fall. This is a negative thing. This passage, some people would use to say, oh, see, the roles are a result of the fall. But I would say, no, the roles existed before the fall. The, pro the result of the fall is the roles very poorly executed, right? For example, no one would say that work is a result of the fall, right? Pain, painful work is a result of the fall. No one would say that childbearing is a result of the fall. Painful childbearing is a result of the fall. No one, well, following that logic, I would say we couldn't say that role, the roles of men and women are a result of the fall. Rather, the poor execution of those roles or the really bad execution of those roles is the result of the fall. So how are the roles corrupted? Well, for man, I would say it's abuse and abdication of leadership, right? If man is supposed to be the leader, 
The problem with sin, the problem with the fall is that man now has that tendency of abuse his leadership or to abdicate his leadership. And we don't have to go far. We don't have to look very far to see how this is the way that history works. I mean, just in the book of Genesis, right there, you see that one of the grandkids, one of the grandchildren of Adam takes multiple wives, right there, abusing his role of leadership. You, you can read the, through the book of Genesis and see how women are often hurt and mistreated and abused because of men's, inca- uh, men's abuse and abdication of their leadership. An example of abdication would be Abraham when he goes to Egypt and he's too scared to protect his wife and says, um, can you, Sarah, do you mind telling them that I'm, that I'm your brother? Right? And, and she is put in danger because of, because of Abraham's, how do you say that? Wimpiness, cowardness, right? So men, we, are, we, ha- we have to understand that a result of the fall is that our temptation will be to either abuse our leadership or abdicate our leadership, be passive and do nothing. And we have to fight against that. We have to fight against that sin. We have to rely on Christ. The new representative, we're going to talk about that in a moment. Um, for, for women, the result of the fall is that, like it says here in verse 16, their desire will be against their husband. There will be this desire to rebel against the authority of your husband, especially when the husband is passive, right? When the husband is advocate, abdicating his role of leadership, then woman will be herself, will see herself in the position where, well, this, you know, this lump is not doing anything. I better go do something, right? And we see examples of that, for example, in in the book of Judges, where uh, Deborah has to step in because, what's his name? See, the nameless guy. That's what happens when you abdicate your leadership. People don't remember your name. Everyone remembers Deborah. And she, in fact, is commended for doing what she did. But unfortunately, it was not an ideal situation. So the point that I'm trying to make here ultimately, is, is that ultimately all have sinned. The fall has affected both men and women in that both were guilty of sin, in that both we continue to sin against God, and in that we uh, fail to fulfill the roles that God has given us. Now, this is not to negate, I do want to be careful here, this is not to negate the terrible abuse that women have suffered under the distorted leadership of men. This is not to negate that, uh, you know, as you read the story of the Bible, it is way more often that women are suffering under poor leadership than the other way around. But the point that I want to make clear is that we... Humanity, male and female, we are both under sin's curse, at least before the point of redemption, right? So we're moving, we went from creation to fall, now let's talk about redemption. One role that was specific to Adam was that of representative of the human race. Uh, when Adam sinned, 
all of us sinned, right? When Adam, Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Who did God confront when they ate of the fruit? Did God go to Eve first? No, he went to Adam because Adam was responsible. Adam was a representative, uh, not only of his family, but of the, hu- the whole human race. And so this is, of course, terrible news, right? That the, the, the beauty of God's creation order, the beauty of the roles that God gave for man and woman to thrive have been marred, have been uh, uh, corrupted through one man, through Adam. But the good news is that there is a new representative of humanity. There is a new representative and his name is Jesus. He is the perfect human. He perfectly lived in this world. He never once disobeyed the word of God. He never once sinned against God. He always did everything that was good and perfect. And that's why he is the one who can be our representative and bring redemption to fallen humanity. Look at what Paul says in Romans 5, 17 through 19. He's talking about Adam as the first Adam, the the one through whom sin entered the world. And then he talks about Jesus. So he says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. If you want to be righteous, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, if you want, be, if you want to be forgiven of your, down, uh, of your downfalls as, as a husband or as a wife or as a, uh, as a single man or a single woman, You need to come to Christ Jesus. You need to come to the perfect man. Adam ruined humanity for us. And I know that we like to say, oh, if I had been in the garden, I wouldn't have done it. No, you would have done it. All of us would have done it. Except for Jesus. He is the perfect human. Now, a couple couple more things about Jesus that I want to point out, and then we'll move to the last part. Notice how Jesus showed us how to be the perfect leader, right? The role that Adam and that man have is that of leadership. Well, Jesus showed us how to be a leader. He showed us what it means to lead sacrificially. And he did it by washing the disciples' feet. He did that by teaching his disciples that if any of them wanted to be the first, they had to become the last or the, or the servant of all, he sacrificially leads his bride, the church. So Jesus shows us how to be a leader. And then at the same time, Jesus shows us what perfect submission looks like when he perfectly obeyed his father and submitted to his will. So Jesus, again, he is the perfect representative of humanity. We can only be saved and receive justification through him 
And we can only learn what it means to be a good leader. We can learn from him what it means to submit by looking at his example. All right, so this is the last leg. We're doing good. Um, what does this look like? So let, let me put it a different way. This is, if we believe that Jesus is the representative of a new redeemed humanity, right? If we believe, as we saw in Ephesians, that everyone who is in Christ is alive with him, is, is a part of his body, is a part of his temple, right? We are members of this new humanity. Well, what, what does this idea of gender roles look like in the redeemed humanity, in the church, in the family? Well, we're not going to spend almost any time at all talking about what it looks like in the family because we spend quite a bit of time talking about it when we were going through Ephesians. So if you want to know more about what it looks like in the family, click on this link. No, there's no link here. This is not a video. Uh, go to our website and find, or just ask me, I'll send you the, the, the link to the sermon on the second half of Ephesians where we talk about uh, the role of the husband and the wife in the family. But just the quick, the, the short version is husbands are to love their wives sacrificially as Christ loves the church. And the wife is to submit to her husband as the church submits to Christ. That's a really short version. Um, I do want to talk about what it looks like in the church. One of the things that was helpful when I was studying, I was reading a document by um, the Village Church in Texas, I believe. And it was actually really helpful, this document. Um, one, of the, one of the things that they point out is that the primary relationship between men and women in the church is that of brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, right? Because I think in my mind, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, roles, the role of, of male and female, and I'm thinking, well, how does this apply in the church, right? It certainly cannot mean that every woman is under the authority of any guy in the church, right? I don't, I don't think that we can go there. I think the Bible says that Every woman is under the authority of their own husband, right? When it calls to husband, when, when, it, when it talks to wives, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Husbands, love your own wives. And so the primary relationship that we have, that male and female have in the church, is that of brothers and sisters, right? The main metaphor, the main analogy that is given in the Bible is that we are a family. Now, a couple more implications of this. Paul does speak clearly in 1 Timothy that the role of elder is reserved for men. So if you turn with me to 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. 
I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through, through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. I'm not going to unpack all of this. There is a sermon that I listened to. If you want to hear it, come to me. So I hope you're writing notes on all the things that you want to hear more about because I can give you links and I can, I can explain more. But the point here is that the office of elder is reserved for men, right? Because the office of elder, the elders of the church are the ones who do the teaching of the church. And if Paul here is saying that it is not allowed for women to teach or to exercise authority over men in the church, then it doesn't follow, or, or I should say, follows logically that women uh, cannot be elders in the church. But I don't want to spend a lot of time just talking about women can't do in the church. I think that, well, I would, just kind of looking at my audience, I would, I would think that most of us agree that women cannot serve as elders in a church. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about what women can and should do in the church. So, for example, we've talked about this. We believe here at Kaleo that the office of deacon is open to both men and women. We believe that in, in Scripture, there's enough evidence to say that that office is open for men and women. Um, here's something else I took from the Village Church uh, document. And I really like this because it talks about how women are partners in ministry alongside men. And so it says, all Christians are charged with the Great Commission. All Christians, both men and women, participate in the ministry of the church. We believe the Bible explicitly encourages and assumes that women will be involved in the ministry of the church. Jesus welcomed women among his disciples, teaching them and involving them in his ministry. Paul's words to Titus teach that older women Teaching biblical wisdom to, young, to younger women is a noble, beautiful, and necessary task. Phoebe, a patron and deacon of the Church of St. Cray, is commended by Paul and was likely the courier for Paul's epistle to the Romans, indicating her participation in gospel ministry. I would add to that that some people, some like serious people, even believe that Phoebe was the reader of the letter to the Romans when she would go deliver it. Uh, Euodia and Sintiq labored with Paul side by side in the gospel. Priscilla, along with her husband Aquila, is described as explaining the way of God more accurately to Apollos, who was a man. We celebrate the biblical picture of men and women serving the church of the Lord Jesus Christ together. We rejoice in biblical examples of men and women using their gifts in the church for the glory of God. So in other words, the things that women can do in the church should be a lot, a lot of things, right? We don't want to, we by no means want to communicate that if you're a woman, the only thing you can do is serve in the nursery or making cookies. No, absolutely not. If you love making cookies and serving in the nursery, please do. But we want to communicate that we want to make sure that both men and women are partnering in ministry here at Kaleo, that we are using everyone's 
or, or that everyone has the opportunity to use the gifts that God has given them for God's glory and for the building up of the church. Right. Almost 50 minutes. It's becoming a trend. A trend that Jordan doesn't like. Let's keep it, let's keep it shorter. So I want to read these statements just to end this sermon. When this is from the Crossway Network uh, DNA documents from their statement of faith. I like the way they put it. They said, when the created distinctions are joyfully embraced, men and women will flourish together. God's image will be wonderfully on display and homes and churches will be strengthened for the mission of God in our world. Now, let me add a couple more things. When the church, the new society that has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, understands their God-given value and roles and submits to them and joyfully exercises them, God is glorified and the church, the family, and the world benefit from it. All glory be to God who created us in his own image, male and female, and redeemed us through the perfect human so that we could live as his representatives on earth and bring him glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glory and the beauty of your creation. Lord, I pray that you If any of us struggles with accepting the roles that you've given men and women, I pray that you would work in our hearts. That you would give us humility and understanding. Lord, that we would be able to recognize the influence of the world in our thinking. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he is the new and perfect representative for us. I pray that we would recognize our own shortcomings in fulfilling the roles that you've given us and that we would come to Jesus for forgiveness, for justification, for righteousness. And that we would come to him as well to learn how to be better husbands and wives, better men and women. Lord, I pray for, uh, for those who are single in our church. We pray that they would also be able to understand how to best glorify you and live out their God-given role for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.